The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. Where the story goes, we follow Chris Smith on today's News Talk TNT Radio. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. And you've reached us at a time where we've had quite a lively 24 hours in the news cycle. So it's one of those busy news days. And all the stories, all the news, all the developing, breaking issues fall into our remit. The kind of conversations we have here on a frequent basis on this program and other programs on TNT. Things like creeping woke agenda, a classic story about that today. The border ideology that the West seems unable to confront. And the push by the VP, Kamala Harris, to be the US president. And there's a bit of pushback coming today, and I'll play some of what I mean. Uh, we've got developing news on the war fronts as well, disturbing news coming out of Israel in terms of Rafah. It could see Israel in a great deal of trouble, probably more trouble than the action they face put forward by South Africa to the International Court of Justice, far greater in terms of innocent lives lost and uh, this is something the prosecutor attached to that court has made a major statement about in the last 24 hours. There's also some incredibly horrific news related to an Australian boy, and we've discussed him on the program before, a 13-year-old autistic boy that a judge deemed was convinced to carry out terrorist acts because of what was provided to him by an undercover police agent. We'll talk about that today. The Line of Liberty, Brian McWilliams, returns to the program to discuss the biggest story, which is the impeachment of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandra Mayorkas. Journalist Corrine Clifford, if you were listening to her on the program yesterday, predicted exactly what happened today. She did yesterday on the program. He's a genius. But given the complete train wreck that is border security, at least on the southern border of the United States, it's a wonder Mallorca's wasn't fired earlier by the president. Now, no doubt Biden wouldn't even remember his name. Uh, but having said all of that, he should have gone long ago. This is a basket case, not only for the Biden administration, but for just about every American city. We'll talk about that. Uh, also, Robert F. Kennedy, talking borders, went to the Mexico-United States border. And uh, wait until you hear what he discovered, and I'll play for you some of the video that was taken at that time. And Team Harris is spreading word about Kamala becoming president. That just will do me. Brian McWilliams will have his take on the Commander-in-Chief, Kamala Harris. I can't say it without getting scared. Uh, we've got major developments, as I say, in the Middle East. I've mentioned one of them. The other point that's uh, worth raising is how Iraq is seemingly emerging as a power broker in some kind of peace deal related to the Middle East, and that has been put forward by France. So we'll just unpack all of that and try and see if we can find out what the truth is. When I catch up with Intel officer for the ADF, Shane Healy, a former ADF soldier. So a lot more to cover. Oh, it's Cyber Wednesday as well. Each and every Wednesday, we've got Alex in here, and he will talk about some of the biggest news around the world related to AI today, some big news related to Apple, etc. So he's got all of that for us. Plus the perfume steamroller herself, 
Uh, Prue McSween will join us today and she will be talking about some of the tricks and the traps of taking politicians on face value. Do not be fooled. All of that and more. And hopefully many of you, our callers, those with strong opinions, you wouldn't be listening to this network if you didn't have a strong opinion. So express those opinions right here on our talkback lines. And you can do so from the United States and Canada on 1-888-201-6425. You can also do that in the very early hours of the morning from the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, one 800 670310. You're with Chris Smith. We're broadcasting live. I'm in Sydney, Australia, on the global news talk network, TNT. Keeping the commitment 24 7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's news talk radio, TNT. You know, the cumulative problem of seeing so much movement worldwide of illegal immigrants when they go from primarily third world countries into the honeypots of Western nations is that we gradually start to take the soft policy for granted. We kind of get to accept that they just walk through our airports, walk straight across our borders in the case of the United States, or jump on a leaky boat between Europe and the UK and find themselves a little pad somewhere in London. Law enforcement and immigration department officials, they know that left-leaning masters in government um, want to see illegal immigrants treated softly. They have in their ears, oh, don't be a bully, you know, treat them well. They're only looking for a new life. We've got to offer kindness. And so with that in mind, the whole culture, the whole woke approach to illegal migrants has changed. Of course, none of that soft appendage attitude for want of a better word, uh, help citizens find jobs. They take jobs. It adds to the health bill. It adds to the public housing bill. It only encourages people smugglers to operate more, more aggressively. And it builds this, I guess, acceptance that illegal entry is not such a big deal after all. Well, it is a mighty big deal, not just for the reasons that I've just articulated. And in Britain, well, the public there right now is gobsmacked by a classic example of authorities just taking illegal entry into the UK for granted. How's this? Shock pupils discovered two suspected migrants hiding under bags in the luggage department of their coach. Okay, so they're going on a, an excursion. They come back to the school in Southampton. They go and get their luggage on the side of the coach. They pull it out. And underneath the bags, what do they find? Two suspected migrants. Two men thought to be in their early 20s were found lying inside that hold as their bus arrived back at the Houndsdown Science School. Now, after the door was opened, one of the men inside tried to run, but thankfully was stopped by parents waiting to pick up their children. Imagine how they would have looked at all of this and reacted. The Daily Mail reports... One child's luggage was covered in urine. Disgusting, but not abnormal given the enormous wave of illegal entrants now kicking down borders worldwide, trying to pretend that they're running from persecution. There are legal avenues for which those who are persecuted can find rescue, can find help, support, and even citizenship in a place like the UK. 
in a place like America or Australia. There are rules in place to make sure that the right people arrive given their parlour circumstances. But the kicker in this story is that the stowaways are now missing. They didn't stay around at the school for too much longer. Listen to Nigel Farage take up the story. The police turned up to the incident, but no arrests were made. A spokesman said they were possibly illegal immigrants. What do you mean possibly illegal immigrants? What on earth else could they have been? We've been on to the Home Office today to try to find out what the status of these two young men is. Um, and the Home Office have said the government works closely with law enforcement agencies to tackle illegal migration in all its forms. Our Illegal Migration Act will mean that people arriving in the UK illegally are detained and promptly removed to their country of origin or a safe third country. Yes, but what about these two? Not what will happen with the Illegal Migration Act. What about these two? The Home Office has refused to clarify. We know they weren't arrested, but has refused to clarify that they've even, even been detained. Can you believe that? Now, let me give you a little bit of background. The bus was coming from France, so I used the tunnel to get back to London, get back to Southampton. And there were several stops along that journey for those coming and changing from one border to another. So therefore, there are ample opportunity for illegal immigrants, and they do it on trucks all the time, to gain entry, and especially on a coach where the driver doesn't necessarily look down outside of the vehicle and see what's going on at the entry doors to the hold. And so someone can easily open it up. They jump in and off they go. And it happens all the time in terms of trucks that come through the tunnel. The parents at that time, when they found these dopes sitting in the hold, they knew what they were doing and they knew what should have been done, which was to make a citizen's arrest because they knew that they were illegal immigrants because that's about 99% chance of what they are. But the Bobbies, what did they They walked away. Not their jurisdiction, not their job. And they know what all the British bleeding hearts would say if they did arrest them. Uh, you know, let go of those bullies. They'd cop it. Maybe that was the reason that they didn't go anywhere near these two. You know, they only want a better life. So they didn't think, oh, well, if I arrest these two, and you could imagine them scratching their heads and just walking away. And how's the Home Office? Like, not outright lying, but not admitting that they don't know where these two are. They could be criminals. And let me give you two examples of why they could be also criminals as opposed to just illegal immigrants. Think about what happened in Australia. There were 139 illegal immigrants accidentally released from detention, including seven murderers, 37 sex offenders and scores of violent offenders. They are now on the streets primarily of Sydney and Melbourne. The government doesn't know what to do or how to find them. And look what's happening in New York City. Illegals are joining deadly gangs now, committing serious crimes and continuing on from where they left off back home. That's a trend. So for the coach in Southampton, 36 kids from year nine and 10 watched as all of this mayhem unfolded. Uh, a student, Scarlett Quinn, told ITV she was shocked when she realised that someone was in amongst the luggage and she seemed rather comfy. Uh, she said, me and my friend were like, oh, my God, there's someone sat in there. One mother described the incident as horrendous and she was still in shock. 
What Brits should be more shocked about, though, is the extremely blasé way in which police and immigration responded. They, their urgency was non-existent. And what about some kind of professional instinct of arresting these characters and then working out whether they should be detained or not? Wouldn't that have been the right way to act? Wouldn't that have been instinctive as a law enforcement officer? Once again, the public gets it. They get it. But the contaminated public service, with all of their woke regard, you know, for these imposters, they just not on the same page. The public gets it, though. Um, it's just a small chapter in what right now is the world's complex border issue, but it just shows how accepted the unacceptable is fast becoming. This is TNT. TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera, while Dahoud, who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid. And we would say that this is probably in terms of conflicts, uh, this many journalists have been lost, uh, killed, injured in the whole of the Second World War, and that lasted uh, a number of years. And only in the last three months are we scraping a hundred on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list, which is coming fast and furious out of Gaza. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT. The Irish government is proposing a law known as the Hate Speech Bill that threatens free speech. This law could have dire consequences for our democracy. Next week, next month, next month, and then on to the next week. This law will have uncertain effects on artistic and musical expression. Please support us. It could stifle the activity of public campaigning on political and civil issues and also curtail speech relating to topics about religion, ethnicity, sex and gender. You could even be jailed for possessing documents, cartoons or memes on your devices, even if you never read them or intended on sharing them. Mere possession could make you a criminal under this law. Help stop this law. Visit www.freespeechireland.ie forward slash take action to bin the hate speech bill. If you're still wearing a cloth or a surgical mask around in public, you're guilty of spreading COVID misinformation. It really is that simple. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, this has got to be the biggest story in America right now. It's breaking. Just a few hours ago, the US House of Representatives voted to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas making him the first cabinet member to face impeachment, wait for it, in nearly 150 years. Now, the Republican-led chamber voted 214 to 213 for the measure after an attempt that failed earlier in the week. We spoke yesterday to Corinne Clifford about this, and she predicted yesterday that he would eventually be impeached today. She was very, very accurate. Let's bring in our regular Wednesday guest live from LA to discuss this and more. Brian McWilliams is a communications director of the Libertarian Party, America's third largest political party. 
He's a native Philadelphian, a comedian, an expert in public relations and communication, and can be heard on the weekly podcast, The Lions of Liberty, found at lionsofliberty.com. Brian McWilliams, welcome to TNT. Thank you, Chris. Good to be back. Will this Mayorkas impeachment lead to any political change? I discussed this with Corinne Clifford yesterday. She thought it was a very minor result for the Republicans, but it's a symbol and a reminder to Americans, is it not, that the border policy that exists is a basket basket case? Yes. Sorry about that, Chris. Yes, I would completely agree with her assessment. It is a minor victory because all they're going to do is they're going to walk it over to the Senate and the Senate is going to reject it. But they are now forced to at least have a hearing. They're at least forced to have a a trial, which the public can now observe. And hopefully what will happen with this when the Senate looks at it is that some of the facts will come out about what's been going on at the border, about essentially what's happened to the border wall, what's happened to the security forces uh, that are supposed to be protecting the border and how many people are coming into the country just unrestricted. And I think additionally, you're going to see this bleed into the effect that it's having on the country when you see migrants going into some of these sanctuary cities and just seeing the laid bare that the infrastructure can't handle it. So it's a minor victory when you talk about the actual you know, whether or not he's going to get removed or whether or not this could change something on Capitol Hill. But what it is a victory for is 100 percent for the visibility of the problem. Mm. And I was actually just you know tweeting about this earlier. It's amazing that you have a Department of Homeland Security chief, a secretary removed for the border issue. Meanwhile, we've had issues wherein they're spying on us domestically. They're violating our civil rights. They're violating the Constitution. But the key here, Chris, is that this one is visible and it's getting through to communities that usually would not see the problem. Yeah, it's affecting every city in the United States of America. It's a wonder, though, and I guess Joe doesn't remember his name, but if he did remember his name, it's a wonder that he wasn't sacked, you know, six months ago by the administration. Well, that would be signaling that they made a, an incorrect uh, assessment of their putting him into place the, you know, to begin with. And, and we know there's one thing the Democrats will never do is admit failure. They double down. And you know this to be true. They double down on every single failure. They will never admit that they made a bad decision. Kamala Harris, a fantastic example. Right. Kamala Harris is in there. They picked her for VP. She's one of the most unpopular people. They will not back down from her. They're not going to back down from Mallorca's just like they would. They'll never back down even from uh, you know the former Supreme Court uh, nominee who, you know, Merrick Garland, who now is heading up the Department of Justice and has proven himself to be an unbelievably biased, completely Democrat in the pocket shill. They'll they'll tell you to the end of time he should have been another Supreme Court justice. There is nothing the Democrats can do or say politically or in functional matters in this country that they will not say, well, we were right all the time. You guys are racist or bigoted and we need to double down on this to fix the problem. So if Mayorkas is an easy target for the Republicans, and obviously he has been, does that mean that he's primarily responsible for the complete chaos that's occurred here or Partly responsible. Partly responsible. He's taking his marching orders. I mean, I I highly doubt that everything that's been happening at the border is purely his decision. Clearly, he's getting told this is the strategy. This is what we're going to be trying to accomplish here, especially with a Donald Trump presidency potentially looming. Uh, I mean, the Democrats, you are beyond enticed to try to get as many people in the country as possible and then make the deal that they had tried to make previously, which is this omnibus bill that was going to fund Ukraine and Taiwan and Israel, but also 
a very key point, and you and I have discussed the refugee asylum issue before in Europe. The key here would have been they wanted to put in something like 4,300 new judges to usher in a much faster asylum system for refugees. Mm. All that does is completely give the, the Democrats a win because now you're still bringing in the same immigrants, but by a different route, and you're enticing more people to line up for asylum anyway. So you could fix the border, but if you're allowing this asylum, it's going to accomplish the same thing. Now that got rejected, but you can see the strategy playing out. So Mayorkas is, is simply taking his orders like a, like a good soldier would. And in this case, he happens to be at least for now, the fall guy. But as I said, there's no chance he'll actually get removed. And an easy target. That's a, that's a really good explanation, a really good explanation. Okay, still on border issues, and this is the juicy bit. Independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has recently visited the U.S.-Mexico border and has released some fascinating video evidence. Now, it's amazing. Every time someone goes there, whether it's Elon Musk, whether it's Corinne Clifford, whether it's anyone, they find something that we haven't reported on before. Have a listen to this. Biden took over. He declared the uh, southwest border a non, non-emergency, which shut down all the um, developments here on the border. Just to get this straight, this part of the fence was built by the Obama administration. The new model? Yeah, this is a model from the Obama administration. And then President Trump uh, purchased all this material, these huge piles, a mile of material here, to complete the fence over that hill. And you can see the ditch, you can see the cut. And the day that he took office, uh, President Biden issued an order shutting down construction and all of this material now is... This is a very small percentage of the material still left. The majority of it, 90%, has been shipped out and sold to salvage. Salvage, yep. Top of the hill, come down, there's a tree to the left. That's where the scout system that we'll see every day. Cartel scout. He directs the traffic across. Now, there are two points about this, two interesting points that I just want to throw at you. Firstly, very smart by Robert F. Kennedy to get there and to physically, tangibly show what's gone on and uh, make a mockery of what the Biden administration did to what was founded by Donald Trump. But secondly, and more importantly, it shows everyone in America the black and white issue politically. It shows you what one leader tried to do and what the other leader brought down. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons this issue is going to be pushed to the forefront so prominently is, as we said, visibility. And you can go and witness this. And, and I like the point he made, too, about Look, this was built during the Obama administration. It's kind yeah. of like when Donald Trump was president, right? The children in cages yeah. covered in aluminum foil. That, that, those pictures were from the Obama administration. It wasn't from Donald Trump. But it goes to show you that this used to be a bipartisan issue. This used to be an issue that people could agree on. And look, as a libertarian, it's an issue that deeply divides our party and our community. I However, bet. when you look at... I mean, well, the welfare state is at such a level and the enticements are at such a level and the infrastructure can't handle it that it, it seems like it's a no brainer. Mm. But to your point, RFK, a fantastic move to go here. But this also proves why he is literally, I think, number one on the Democrat hit list right now. Uh, I know that they're they're looking to bring lawsuits against him. I know that the mainstream media is going to attack him. I guarantee there's going to be some piece forthcoming about how he hates Hispanics. This is the writing on the wall. This is the strategy. But it is fascinating to see just how, I mean, the abdication of a duty to defend the border, which is which is law, and also just the willingness to scrap billions of dollars worth of goods 
mm-hmm. just to make a point, just because just because you want to really stick it to somebody. And that's yeah. what Joe Biden was doing with this. It's so visual and therefore it makes uh, a great argument, a visual argument. All right. Still on Robert F. Kennedy um, and the Super Bowl this time. It's been canvassed quite widely, this story. A political ad for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. aired on Sunday at the Super Bowl and had a close resemblance to one used by John F. Kennedy when he was contesting for the White House. Have a look at this. You want a man for president who's seasoned through and through. A man who's old enough to know. And young enough to do. Well, it's up to you. It's up to you. It's strictly up to you. American Value 2024 is responsible for the content of this advertisement. It was deliberate. And as I understand it, you tell me whether I'm wrong. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. himself had not seen the ad before it was aired and was cranky. Yes, correct. He was not he was not happy about it. Well, look, he may have secretly been happy about it. His family was not happy about it. Right. Uh, and there is but there's no shortage of media malfeasance when it comes to seeking out unhappy people in Robert F. Kennedy's family. Uh, <laughs> they, of course, the complaints about this was that they used images of people that were assassinated. It's like, well, his father was assassinated. I think, you know, I think he'd be more sensitive than that than anybody, but also attacking him for his views on vaccines as though it has anything to do with the commercial here. But the broader context is i gotta tell you this may be the ad of 2024 it is a brilliant piece of uh, of advertising propaganda it hits on every point nostalgia the yeah. visual impact of it you know you think about how cool the retro you know kind of a retro cool to the imagery the black and white and red the graphic impact of that on people's minds and the song I mean, it's the catchiest thing in the world. It's stuck in my head. It's going to be in my suicide note if I can't get it out of there soon. (laughs) But I mean, I was singing it to my dogs earlier, you know, (laughs) Kennedy, Kennedy, Chloe and Hank. My God, it's just it's ever present. But it's so going (laughs) (laughs) exactly right. (laughs) But beyond that, though, it sticks with you and we're playing it here everybody's talking about it and his family obviously does him no favors because the mainstream media covers them. But in the same way, it does go into this, you know, no, no PR is bad PR. It's mm. getting amplified beyond any other commercial that ran on the Super Bowl, mm. And it's making the point. One of the key lines in that is that he's young enough to still do something, but old enough to have experience. And when you look yes. at Donald Trump, who is ancient, and Joe Biden, who is ancient and has dementia, it's an interesting point. That was a line that really the only uh, line in the song that wasn't just kind of sing song, but it makes a great point. It's a brilliant ad. He sh- I'm guarantee in private, he's over the moon about it. Yeah, you're right. It's tick, 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 tick. You're right. Now, I find it interesting when Team Harris go out and fish for supportive views in the mainstream media for Kamala to take over the presidency. And what a time to do it after Friday's report into Joe Biden's senility. But comedian Elsa Kurt is known for her parodies of Kamala, which now have millions of views online. Have a listen to this recent parody, which perfectly captures the VP's annoying mannerisms. We are here today at this prestigious insert location to talk with people okay people in uniform people in suits people in t-shirts 
people in dresses. And all of these people are here today together. Okay? Because we want to be unburdened by the things that have burdened us in the past and in the present and perhaps even in the future. And as I look around, I see the sun is shining and I see that there are trees over there and there is ground beneath us and I have hands and they are clapping <laughs> and I am laughing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I love how she's just got it right when every put the punctuation is okay, okay. Okay. Then I was wondering when she was going to giggle to death because that's all I've seen Kamala Harris do. She was brilliant. Oh yeah, it's it's her signature move, that that ridiculous <laughs> giggle. I mean also just it's so fascinating every Kamala Harris sketch. I remember the Babylon Bee a few years ago. This is like years ago had a sketch where they had a child, it was like a 6-year-old child taking credit for writing her speeches where she did the one about space. <laughs> He's talking about how he was just thinking about space that day and how big it is and it's in Kamala's <laughs> speech in verbatim. Uh, it, it's hilarious. But I'll tell you what I took away from this too. Isn't it fascinating that Kamala Harris is billed as our first black slash African-American VP of the country, first female black. And yet the woman that does the most accurate impression of her is a white lady. And I think that that's probably telling because I doubt there's many real black women out there in America that would be able to do a good Kamala Harris impression. Yeah, It's just kind of a funky twist when you think about it, but it she is. does nail it. It's hilarious. It is very <laughs> hilarious. Okay. Very hilarious. Okay. We will go to a news break right now. Okay. And come back with Brian McWilliams. Okay, this is TNT. News. News. There is a difference. What's on the schedule for today? A little less yappity yap and a little more news. Yay. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boylan here with a look at your TNT headlines. The US Secretary of Homeland Security has been impeached by the House of Representatives over his failure to address the country's immigration crisis. President Joe Biden's taken a swipe at Donald Trump after he threatened to abandon NATO countries who failed to pay their share of the bloc's defence costs. And roads leading into India's capital of New Delhi have been sealed as thousands of farmers in their tractors make their way towards the city. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Thank you to Keith, one of our... Viewers based in Australia, in Sydney, in fact, he says, gotta love the cackle. Gotta love the Kamala cackle. Well, if she wasn't the vice president, we love it a lot more. But Keith, thank you very much. Let's get back to Brian McWilliams and let's talk about his Libertarian Party, which has this week, Brian, highlighted the absurdity that courts in Illinois offer different court rules depending on the race and gender of attorneys. attorneys. That, to me is blatantly racist. It is one of the most psychotic things I've ever seen in my entire life. When you think about undermining the basic court system as well, because basically what they're doing here in Illinois, they put in this, this rule wherein new lawyers, female lawyers, and minority lawyers can get more time than is given to traditionally to lawyers to argue their case during oral arguments. Now, what that means is this is by far the, the bigotry of low expectations, right? Because 
maybe it goes back to the fact that some of these minority students that are being pushed into law firms or law schools like Harvard are, have, you know, they have some lower grades. Maybe it's to help them ease into the world as they're helping ease into these higher schools of, of academic uh, excellence or former excellence. But practically, this is saying you can't hack it in the courtroom. You're not able to think. You're not able to deliver an argument as well as a white man. I mean, mm. there's really no other way to look at this. It, it and, makes it makes victimhood a permanent place in the law. Absolutely. Well, it makes victimhood a permanent place in the law. But also, when you think about it, it's just it's insulting to everyone that's a lawyer from those yeah. groups. But also, think about the practical impact of this. If you're trying to hire somebody now to be a lawyer, and maybe this is part of the grand scheme, right? Get people to hire more minority or female lawyers. But if you're going to go and say, well, my lawyer, my old man, my my very talented white male lawyer is now at a severe disadvantage in any court case, because after his arguments presented, I'm going to get extra time now. Mm. Now, if you're hiring a lawyer, is that going to impact your judgment? Are you going to say, well, I want the best lawyer possible? Or are you now going to say, well, why don't I just hire somebody that's going to have a little extra time, even if they're not as good of a lawyer? Maybe they don't know the law. Maybe they don't know the arguments, but they're going to get extra time. And honestly, if you're talking at a jury who just wants to get out of there or is simply able to be uh, convinced, you know, and, and God knows this is talking, you're talking about murders. You're talking about civil cases. You're talking about life altering sentencing. And you're going to give somebody extra time to convince a jury based no. on the color of their skin yeah. or what they're packing in their pants. That's psychotic. It is. It's justice altering legal mumbo jumbo virtue signaling crap. That's what it is. Total crap. You, you, you guys need to do a lot more about this. You've got to yell from the rooftops about this one, because at the end of the day, this is racist in many in many ways and, and makes a victim of black America more than ever before. I hate this stuff. I can't tell you. All right. I want to talk about a new report which shows that Biden's criminality and blatant disregard for the law is so flagrant. Even his fellow Democrats can't excuse it anymore. And this refers, of course, to the special counsel report, which was released on Friday. But Representative Dean Phillips, Democrat from Minnesota, Democrat, has stood his ground and says Joe Biden wrongly took classified documents home. You see, the whole business about saying, well, he's too senile to know whether he did or didn't, he's too senile to know when he was vice president, makes no difference whatsoever. He willfully, willfully took those documents. So you either remove him as the president or you charge him. You can't do what you've just done. Yeah, precisely. I mean, he took them when he took them. Yeah, it doesn't matter if he did it now. When he took them, he was a vice president. So he doesn't even have the presidential power, by the way, like a Donald Trump would have to say, well, these are unclassified. He, is, he can't do that as VP. And when he took them, he was not presumably not this senile and, and ancient fellow that can't remember anything. So, yeah, you have to. I mean, it's the height of hypocrisy to sick the goons on a former president, to raid his house, to make this big deal, and then do the exact same thing. And yet they're going to let him skip away on it because he's too senile. I mean, he has to be, if he's too senile, he has to be, you know, use the 25th Amendment, impeached, yep. or he has to be removed from office for incapability. Yeah. Or yeah, he has to be charged. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. Do you think, though, that Friday was a turning point in the eyes and the years of Americans in terms of accepting or not accepting his capacity to run again and handle four more years. Don't you think it was a turning point? I do. 
Uh, I absolutely do. When you've got, especially because people know, even the Democrats know, the Department of Justice is heavily biased towards Democrats, towards Joe Biden, for them to admit it. Mm. Um, and I'm sure they did it to get him out of of, of uh, the position we'd be liable. And honestly, part of me, Chris, thinks, you know, in my conspiracy brain in the back of my head, thinks that this was actually a dictate handed down by the DNC with their influence in the Justice Department to say, look, this is a perfect excuse for us to to move away from Joe. He's not going to be able to get out of this. He's going to be forced to say, I cannot run. I'll step down. You know, he'll go through, he'll get the delegates, but then step away and allow somebody else to take up that mantle. Yeah. It might have been strategy all along, mm -hmm. but in the mind of the public, which is already questioning it. I mean, I think it was the latest polls showed like something like 38% of people had any confidence in Joe Biden uh, and his capabilities mentally. Now you've got a government organization that people know is biased saying, this man does not have it all together. There's just nothing there. So yeah, it, it's changed completely. Whether that'll impact the race, whether he'll run, I don't think he's going to make it at this point. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't, I don't think the Democrats have a choice but to make some sort of pivot. And whether or not it's going to be successful, I just don't know. Great analysis. Great segment. Terrific, um, terrific sideline too. Thank you so much for your time, Brian. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you. Good on you. Brian McWilliams from LA, the Line of Liberty. And uh, good to have him on the program today. That was a great rundown of the things that are making news and uh, worth talking about and unpacking, telling you the truth about them. Now, last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20 and 21. This was at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian will have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. Really important. Well, TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the event. If it's going for two days, we will be there. And then we'll be broadcasting from other various locations right around London and uh, entertaining you with what we've got. Also, the London premiere of the Trust Fall, Julian Assange, will be at the Rio Cinemas on Sunday the 18th of February at 1pm. The film will be followed by a panel discussion with Q&A featuring Tariq Ali, uh, Kristen Huffnesson, and also hopefully Stella Assange. To find out more, just go to The Trust Fall Julian Assange. You can Google that, The Trust Fall Julian Assange. Lighting the fuse for freedom. This is today's News Talk TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. By now, you probably heard all about the two police officers in New York City's Times Square that were beaten by a gang of illegal thugs. Four of them were arrested and released on bail, and they're now headed to California, and they're probably there by the border of Mexico already. But there's more to this stuff we haven't heard yet until now. There is this one percenter, you know, criminal element that looks at a different opportunity here. These individuals, I went over their rap sheets yesterday, multiple charges, grand larceny, robbery, attempted robbery, grand larceny, grand larceny. Uh, this particular crew operated on mopeds and scooters. They were doing organized retail theft. They were doing snatches on the street, iPhones, iPads, clothing, so on and so forth. Uh, one of them that they are still seeking has 10 charges on one day because he's part of a pattern that's been going on. That's CNN's John Miller. He's a former NYPD deputy commissioner, and he wasn't finished. I'm looking at the dates that their arrest started, which is probably close to when they got here. They've only been here a couple of months. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York, do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. Oh. Keep us back on this. The silence of the CNN anchors 
says it all. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player and proud supporter of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14, and I watched her struggle. But MDA helped her get the best treatments and care, and they also help kids like my buddy Ethan. My name is Ethan, and I'm 12 years old. Thanks to the Muscular Dystrophy Association and people like you, I have more hope than ever before. From day one, they've treated me like family at my local care center. MDA is the only one that funds over 150 care centers across the U.S. to help provide state-of-the-art care for adults and kids like me. For over 70 years, MDA has been transforming the lives of people living with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and other related neuromuscular diseases. They fund the research for breakthrough treatments, care, and cures. And MDA provides support to thousands of families like mine and Ethan's in communities like yours. Thanks to MDA, kids and adults can live life to its fullest. Join us and learn more at mda.org today. This is the Christmas Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hi, thanks for your company. Now, International Criminal Court Prosecutor Kareem Khan said he was deeply concerned about reports of the bombardment and potential entry of Israeli troops into Rafah in Gaza, saying that his office may be pushed to take action against Israel. We should talk about this and some other developing news through the Middle East and elsewhere. And we'll do that with Shane Healy. He's worked in the Australian Army as an intelligence officer and trainer and as a private military contractor too. He was deployed twice to Afghanistan as part of Task Force 66. And when in Australia, he was part of the tactical assault group East and West, where he was involved in several real-time terrorist incidents. He now works for both government and private firms in the area of threat assessment, often related to both suspects and those convicted of terror crimes. Let's welcome him to the program. Shane Healy, welcome to TNT. Afternoon, Chris. How are you going? I'm doing very, very well. There's so much to get through here, and let's try and um, do it bit by bit, piece by piece. Uh, Karim Khan says he's deeply concerned about Israel's actions in Rafah. Just explain to my viewers what Israel has just done in Rafah and whether you see from your observation and uh, your contacts in the Middle East, whether you see some kind of criminal intent, not just necessarily criminality or the deaths of Palestinians, but criminal intent, which of course is what the prosecutor will be looking for. Yeah, so uh, first of all, when Israel first went into Gaza, they went into northern Gaza and they told all the civilians to move south to Rafah. So at the moment, 60% of the entire population of Gaza is in this area. It's it's one of the biggest refugee camps in the world. So now all of a sudden Israel have said, you've got to move, we're coming in, and they've already conducted some strikes, killing civilians. So the Palestinians are like, we went where you told us to go, now you're going to attack us. The second thing is, like we discussed last week, what is total victory to Netanyahu? That is to destroy all of Hamas. Mm. And he's currently come out and said that he believes through Israeli intelligence that there's three Hamas brigades hiding out in Rafah. And until they get rid of all of those brigades, then Hamas will still live. So that's been his line all, all along. And you've definitely got Palestinian civilians. Whether there's Hamas members, supporters or not, I would say yes within that. We've discussed that before. So you've got two sides meeting with a lot of civilians in the middle. It's always going to be nasty. 
um, and he's clinging to to power by this assault. So um, you'll see a, a ramp up. You'll see, a f especially Egypt now. Egypt said that if Israel go ahead with this, they might become involved because it's the uh, Egypt corridor uh, is where the rougher gate is, which is also another um, point in this contest. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is Israel's not a member of the international law, so they actually don't recognise the jurisdiction of Karim Khan and his organisation. Right. So they don't really care what Karim Khan and, and that say. They're not signatories, and they haven't really worried about what the South Africans have said and done previously. No. They're on a mission to eradicate a, a historical enemy that started this and killed Israeli civilians. Right. Like I said, when I in 2005, when I was in Israel uh, doing some training with their forces, they said, you know, Shane, there's 9 million of us and 400 million of them, and all they want to do is push us into the ocean. So, so that's how ingrained it is in the Israeli psyche that they're fighting for their survival. So you, you've got to think of both sides where they're coming from to kind of understand what the, the thought pattern is. So, yeah. All right, let, let's look at both sides of the argument in reference to Rafah. Now, Khan says, all wars have rules and the laws applicable to armed conflict cannot be interpreted so as to render them hollow or devoid of meaning. This has been my consistent message, including the Ramallah last year. So the Palestinians would say Israel had no right to do what they plan to do in Rafah and kill innocent people, no matter whether there are hostages there or whether there are members of Hamas. Israel will argue and has argued that, hold on a second, Hamas is responsible here. We have to get hostages. We are taking out Hamas. And if they want to use Palestinians as human shields, that's their fault. So, and you're correct on, on all of those. So there's various levels of what's called, you know, international war um, so, first of all, international humanitarian law is kind of, and the Geneva Convention is what all state actors kind of stick to, whether they fully embrace uh, Article 4 of the Geneva Convention is a bit hit and miss. But you've also got things like what is their rules of engagement for the Israeli forces? So, for us, when we were in Afghanistan, um, you know, you had to be in direct conflict with the enemy. You couldn't just start randomly shooting people. They had to have weapons. They had to be engaging you. So then you've got laws of armed conflict, which is a separate set of rules, again, that state actor militaries have got to abide by. Hamas doesn't have to follow any rules, which is why Israel's taken the gloves off. You conducted a attack inside and killed civilians. So, again, it's not like a state on state, you know, we're both signing up to a declaration of war. This is a terrorist group that started a terrorist attack against a state group that want to get rid of that threat on their border. So Israel have decided to play by the same rules of Hamas where other countries have in the past. And just very quickly, a minor point, but underneath the tunnel, um, labyrinth of tunnels underneath Gaza, they've found various servers which obviously control their own internet or intranet uh, for Hamas soldiers. That's a major coup, a major win for Israel, but no doubt there are a few more servers elsewhere, including in the West Bank. Well, so yes, they have found servers, but they haven't actually showed any exploitation of what's on those servers yet. So the UN are saying, yes, we've hidden them because we need to maintain that, that backup servers for our... So both sides are still kind of denying and accusing each other until um, we see some exploitation materials. Some, you know, when they did the Osama bin Laden raid, SEAL Team 6 carried all those servers out. They've been released. So you can see all of the Al-Qaeda's writings and that 
on those servers. So you go, yep, Sama bin Laden was still the head of Al-Qaeda conducting operations out of this house. All right. Until we and look at that kind of exploitation material, who knows? Who knows? Um, what are your instant reaction to the strife that was uh, caused once two hostages were rescued out of the rubble? Gee, I tell you what, they killed people along the way. Uh, but two hostages, the first to be rescued. Well, we've always said, Chris, that it's a nasty business, that urban combat, and that's it. They had to blast their way in and, and then blast their way out. And it goes back to what we've just been saying. They're playing by Hamas's rules um, and they they don't care. And if you noticed over the weekend, there were massive rallies in Israel where Israelis were on the streets saying to Netanyahu, just go for a ceasefire, get our hostages back. Yeah. So now we can say the military's got two of your hostages, we're going to get them all, they're in rougher. That's his justification yeah. for the next line of attacks. Okay. What's Iraq's role in the Middle East plan or the Middle East um, brokering of peace? Why are they being seen as power brokers? So the Iraqi government is Iranian Shia back. ISIS is Sunni, and they're re-emerging and regrouping in Western Iraq, in the Al-Anbar province. America currently have a strike cell in, uh, it's called the Baghdad Diplomatic Center. It's where the Australian Special Forces were based out of in the counter-ISIS mission. Mm -hmm. They're still running operations, targeting ISIS regrouping in Al-Anbar. So Iraq want them to continue to do that. But the Iranians are saying to the Iraqis, get the US out of your country. So as long as the Iraqi government can get some sort of middle ground, let the US CENTCOM operate out of Baghdad, take out ISIS, take out any other terrorist group in northeast Syria that's pushing them out of Iraq. The Iraqi government doesn't have to do that. and But they've got to not look to the Iranians as uh, US lackeys because at the end of the day, they're all Shia and they all pledge their allegiance to Iran. So that's why they're very important, because if they kick US out and ISIS regroup, some of those camps they're talking about, ten to 15,000 troops regrouping in those camps. Okay, let's talk Australia. And there's a major issue going on in reference to a 13-year-old boy who we've spoken about before on this program with you, because you've had connection to him and you've done an assessment on him at one stage, as I understand it. He's an autistic boy. Uh, a judge has found that undercover police, associated with the AFP, I think it was, um, coerced him to do actions that therefore led to him being charged as a conspirator of terrorism, a terrorist act. I think I've got that right. You are getting some political support on this. You you say that the way this boy was handled was disgraceful and you are calling for a Royal Commission. You said that on this program before. Um, you're getting support from one particular politician in Parliament, aren't you? Well, I think he's uh, he's getting support from a number of people, but he's definitely reading some of my uh, online social media uh, messaging for sure. Um, but I think um, I have been in, in touch with uh, a couple of senators. Um, but at the end of the day, the judges... Including Senator Shoebridge, right? He's leading the charge 100%, Chris, yeah. He's okay. leading the charge. All right, so let's play a little bit of what he had to say to the Chief of Federal Police at a hearing last night. Have a listen to this. Read you the conclusion. It's the second last paragraph sure. of the judgment. It's easy to get to. To be clear... The OCO's evidence, and that's the undercover operative's evidence, 
in its entirety revealed an orchestrated litany of communications between the seasoned covert operator and the child over an extended period of time in frequency and regularity, which was so highly improper to count significantly against the admissibility of the evidence and indicated that he would reject the, the admission of the evidence. It became a bit of a moot point, Senator, because there was a permanent stay put on no, the proceedings. No, Deputy Commissioner, it's not a mute point. Yeah. When the evidence that's presented to a court of the behaviour of one of your undercover operatives mm. is rejected for those reasons, it's not a moot point. It's really not, is it? It's a, it's a, it's a clear, unambiguous, extraordinary criticism of the behaviour of un your undercover operative, isn't well, we, it? We acknowledge the criticism in the judgment, Senator. Yeah, and that undercover operative, like yourself, mm. is facing no possibility okay. of sanction. To say that this is a mute point is a lie, isn't it, Shane? Yeah, that infuriates me, Chris. That really does, because what the judge said is that they used uh, clinical notes to obtain, to use for intelligence and use against a 13-year-old autistic boy. Anyone who's had anything to do with anyone with autism knows they get fixated on things. Now, I'm limited to, to what I can say here, but all I will say is if you're aware of the characteristics of autism and you get fixated on any topic, there can be no malice in it, which is easier than to feed a narrative to someone to get them basically to say what you want them to say. Which and is why the judge said what he said, right? Exactly right, Chris. And that's why I'm so angry about this. He's a 13-year-old autistic boy that has been, him and his family have been through the absolute ringer. You know, they turn up to court, mum, dad, legal aid, and a, a couple of experts, and there's 15 people on the Crown side all saying that your son is his terrorist. When they went to the police to start with to say help, yeah. Again, that AFP commissioner just ignores the whole time. They went to the police for help. They mm. could have intervened, done intervention. No, no, let's put an undercover agent in and make this young boy a terrorist. That's why I'm so mad about this. As you should be. It's like turning up to the cop shop saying, I need help, please, for my son. And then they turn around and go and arrest your son. How disgraceful. And the AFP chief should be ashamed of the work done by his undercover officers and the reputation of the AFP. One quick one. The other big story today in ADF um, circles was the fact that there are no soldiers and weapons to rely on anymore. Everyone seems to be out of there. What's going on? Yeah, I saw that story and they say they've actually been covering it up for a couple of years. There's a big fraction at the top of the Defence Force between uh, the Defence Minister and the senior leaders. That's a, not a good start. The current uh, Minister for Defence, Richard Miles, has put no money into Defence. So any opposition, he was great to throw hand grenades, but he hasn't got an extra dollar. Um, and the culture in the Defence Force at the moment, going into a peacetime army, um, is really poor. Lowering standards for recruiting. Now, that's just not on because at some stage if these men and women have to go and fight a war there's no stand there's one standard there's combat ready and if they're not being recruited and trained to that standard it's it just going to affect that us on the battlefield and as someone who has worn the Australian uniform in combat we've got a great reputation we do not want to diminish that because we're lowering standards to recruit people 
Well said. Wonderful to have you on the program. Your analysis is greatly appreciated and is getting all sorts of traction out there in mainstream. Thank you very much for your time, Shane. Appreciate it. Shane Healy.